listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture this morning is from the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. When they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you, to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jim, for that very long reading. Are you ready for a two-hour sermon now? Yeah, good. All right. Um, I'm excited to be back up here. I have finally recovered my desk from this summer because it took me quite a while to get all caught up. And welcome to our new series of Ruth. I have only written one introductory series, uh, sermon before, so here's hoping that today's is a little better and I don't see too many of you nodding off. I'm just kidding. But before your nap time, please join me in prayer. <sighs> God, I pray that your Holy Spirit enter into this space. I pray that you make your presence known to each one of us this morning. Move me aside, Lord, that your word comes through me. Make the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so why is this book important? Uh, Ruth is really short. It's only four chapters long. It's something that we could easily skip right over. Um, or you could sit down and read it in its entirety this week, multiple times if you so choose. Uh, if you look at your going deeper section, I am requesting that you do read the book of Ruth at least once this week so that you are prepared for what we're going to be talking about during Advent. Uh, so the first thing that, has, that came up over and over and over in my research is the idea of chesed. This is the theme, the main theme of Ruth. This is found right in the opening as well. Ruth 1.8 shares Naomi's hope of chesed upon her daughters-in-law. And you can read with me, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. This Hebrew word, chesed, is translated here as kindly, but more often it's translated as mercy, kindness, loving kindness, and goodness. Within context, it is usually the kindness that flows naturally from the loyalty or the faithfulness that arises from commitment. God has made a commitment to us, thus God shows chesed to each of us. Ruth married Naomi's son, thus she feels a commitment to Naomi to continue to take care of her. Hased flowing freely from each of us to one another, from us toward God. It's the choice that we make to those toward those whom we love and the choice that God makes toward us. You're going to see this theme repeated throughout the entire book of Ruth. From God to his people, from Ruth to Naomi, Naomi to Ruth, and then eventually from Boaz to Ruth and Naomi. It's imperative to our understanding, not only 
of God, but of the love that Christ has for each of us. It's an imperative thing in the way that we live our lives. We are to live with this chesed in the forefront of our actions. And of course, my favorite part about Ruth, making it unique to the Old Testament and the culture at the time of its writing, is of course the way that it elevates women. Not only in focusing on Ruth and Naomi, but really showcasing the importance of our roles as females within God's story. The author could have written it from Boaz's perspective, from a different angle, but instead it focuses on the women and the redemption found in their life story. If you were paying attention in the first five verses of the book, all the men were dead, leaving three widows to face the world on their own. And we're not looking at important women who are wives of important patriarchs. We're given a look into a widow of an unimportant man who left his hometown of Bethlehem, allowing for his sons to marry foreign women. And not only that, but the book was named after a female Moabite. You might not understand, but that was quite scandalous at the time. Lastly, the book of Ruth was revered in Hebrew culture, and it's historically read during the Festival of Weeks, which occurs 50 days after Passover. Does anybody know what we call the Festival of Weeks? Pentecost. Of course, Walter's got it. Great job. Well done. If you don't know, he is also a reverend. <laughs> um, so Ruth is historically read on Pentecost, the day in which God sent the Holy Spirit down to forever be our comforter, if we choose to allow him to do that for us. This right here, that's reason enough for us to study this short book. As we travel through this book, we're going to focus in on the characters that play a part and today, I get to dig a little into the character of Ruth. Next week, you'll learn about Naomi. So who is Ruth? More importantly, I am going to get us all to a place where we can all relate to Ruth in some way, shape, or form. So I'm going to back up a little bit. So Naomi and Elimelech, they left Bethlehem in a time of famine. They went to Moab to farm and to take care of their families. They needed to eat. And this was the way in which they found God's provision. It appears that Naomi's sons got married after Elimelech died, most likely in hopes to conceive children and to continue their family line. As the husbands historically had the conversations with the bride's family prior to marriage, Naomi would have handled all of this instead. She probably had nothing really to offer another family for their daughters. So the likelihood is strong that Ruth and Orpah were from fairly poor families. On top of this, Ruth was a Moabite. I don't know if you noticed, but just the country of Moab was mentioned seven separate times in Ruth chapter 1. We're going to hear that over and over and over. It was really important that the Hebrew culture, that they knew where Ruth was from. 
because Moab was forbidden. Moses shared some laws with the Hebrews, Deuteronomy 7. Oh, hey, wait, wait, let's go back. There's the map. That's where Moab is. That's where Bethlehem is. I forgot I had that up there for you guys to give you a little idea. So Deuteronomy 7 says, Do not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for that would turn away your children from following me to serve other gods. Deuteronomy 23, verses 2 and 3. Those born of an illicit union shall not come into the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of their descendants shall come into the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite shall come into the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of their descendants shall come into the assembly of the Lord forever. Did you get the point? (laughs) Pretty sure they made it clear. Not only did the Hebrews not like the Moabites, but they were expressly forbidden from marrying them specifically, nor were they ever allowed in the temple. And this wouldn't have been secret within just the Hebrew culture. The country of Moab would have known this was forbidden. I don't know if you notice, but people tend to point out that kind of stuff over and over. Those Moabites would have been very, very aware of their low status within the Hebrew culture. Centuries after these books were written, Nehemiah still used the marrying of Jews to foreign women like a weapon against them, sharing that this was one of the reasons why so much harm had come to them. This is still held over in some Jewish contexts in which they're still encouraged to marry somebody from their own culture. Even if that means a non-Jew converts to Judaism first, my guess is it's probably not as scandalous anymore, but it's still a problem for some. And this information would have been passed down from generation to generation to generation, both in Judah and in Moab. Ruth knew what she was doing when she followed Naomi back to Bethlehem. Ruth understood her status within their culture. All right, so recap. Ruth is probably from a poor family. She's foreign. She's unwanted and now a widowed woman following after her mother-in-law back to their home country and the town of Bethlehem without any idea of what's on the other end of their journey. And not only that, she walks back in presumed silence. Can we just take a minute on that? I'm going to put up verse 18 again. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Can you imagine walking seven to ten days in silence with your mother-in-law? And let's add insult to injury, you didn't give your mother-in-law a child. So, she's poor, she's unwanted, she's widowed, and she's presumed barren as she has spent 10 years with her husband. And this culture, it was devastating for a woman. And equally devastating to a mother who has lost her husband and sons. There was no way for them to be taken care of. 
Both Naomi and Ruth had to feel the sting of this so bitterly. These women have now entered the margins of society, thrust into it by their circumstances, changing in a second. I want you to sit in this for a moment. Some of you possibly have been here in some way. You lose your job. Maybe you've lost your home, your security, your spouse, whatever the case may be, and you're now labeled something that you never wanted to be labeled. You expected one outcome. You waited and you prayed and you waited some more, and then your circumstances changed so drastically. And instead of getting what you had hoped for, you get what we call the short end of the stick. You feel like God has forgotten about you. Maybe you turn away from God instead of toward him. You feel like you're up against the world fully and completely on your own. Potentially, you are now part of the marginalized instead of being in the one's prominent place in your life. Enter Ruth. Ruth is here now. Potentially, this is the low of her entire life. And now she's being asked to leave Naomi, and she had only clung to this family for the last 10 years, and yet her response to Naomi is so beautiful. She says, do not press me to leave you, to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Ruth was faced with a choice. A choice of where to turn. I'm certain that everybody can relate to this. We've all been faced with really difficult decisions in life. We've had to sit and really think through some options. You know how agonizing it can be. Sometimes the right path just makes itself so clear that you don't even have to really think about it. But then other times, you sit and you ponder and you wonder and you worry and then you think again and then you think through all the possible options and then you think on it again and if you're anything like me you're going to think about it again and again and maybe one more time until you finally make a decision maybe you've been faced with decisions over relationships over a new home a new job Maybe it's just a general dis-ease that you're feeling and you know that something needs to change, but you don't quite know what it is. Um, This picture that I came across, I just found so beautiful because it looks to me, what I see is obviously Naomi is in the middle and it looks like Orpah is just going to kiss her and say, okay, well, see you later. It's been a great 10 years. And Ruth is staring up and really asking, God, what am I supposed to do? right now. This is possibly the hardest decision that Ruth will ever be faced with. She's already left her family of origin to marry a foreign Jewish man. And then she doesn't conceive a child. She's 10 years older. Her husband dies. And her mother-in-law is fleeting and does not want her either. Should she stay or should she go? 
So we know she followed, and she followed quite adamantly. All right, show of hands, because I want to make sure everybody's awake. Um, how many of you have left family and friends and moved far away to an unknown area? Good, quite a few of you. It is not easy. It is the hardest thing that I have ever been faced with, and um, our family has done this more times than I really like to admit. I think four specific long moves, and each new location, though brought with it really good things, lots of highs, but also lots of lows. And at the beginning of those decisions, the fear of the unknown was so thick and so hard. So here Ruth chooses adamantly to follow Naomi. I am certain she is struggling with some of that fear. Not only did she choose Naomi, but she chooses to follow after the Hebrew God, leaving behind the other gods that she has been raised to revere. Instead of turning away from God and Naomi and her duty to her deceased husband's family, she turns toward them all. Ruth drops the only life she's ever known in Moab to follow Naomi and a God that she's not even welcome into the temple of. We are all faced with challenge after challenge as we walk through life. We can be against some really big, difficult things, and yet we have a choice every single day to wake up and to choose to follow after God. We can all make different choices, can't we? Trust me, even I can make different choices. We can choose to wake up and choose ourselves. We can choose to be selfish, our own wants, our own desires, and I'm sure that we've all had these days. But I would say most of us in this room wake up daily, or at least wake up some Sundays, and choose God, and choose community, choose to show up to life in that way. We can all relate to Ruth in this. So she did not grow up knowing the Hebrew God. Ruth probably knew the little she learned because of the faith in that home that she was in for 10 years with Naomi. But she knew that Naomi was choosing him, so she did too. Ruth was ready to follow Naomi to wherever she was going, in silence, after a God that she had heard about only in a negative light toward foreigners and still chose to follow. As we move through the book of Ruth, you're going to see just how much she laid on the line to help the family line of Elimelech, to lift up the family line of her deceased husband. She allowed God to use her in a big way in Naomi's life and in turn the life of an unborn child. Spoiler alert, if you're ready for it, Ruth's child would go on to be the great-great-grandfather of King David, who was in the line of Jesus Christ himself, whose earthly parents had also to make a trip to Bethlehem, to their family's hometown, to be counted for the census in the year of Jesus' birth. All right, so we all have choices to make. That's one way we relate to Ruth. Another thing I thought about when I was reading through Ruth is that we all have obligations, don't we? 
We all have things and people in our lives that it might be easier to walk away from. It would be easier to turn around and away from some, possibly, that we want to run away from, making it easier to live our own individual lives. Ruth could have turned around. She could have walked back. She could possibly have gotten another husband and started a whole new life. But instead, she felt an obligation toward her mother-in-law, knowing that she was going to need help and protection from what was to come. She knew Naomi would be, not be fit to glean in the fields. She knew she was not returning to a family and to a home that would take care of her, but instead was going to return with nothing and to nothing. Ruth probably felt at some level that this was her duty to take care of Naomi, even if it was not welcomed from the start, even if Naomi did not appreciate it, eventually it was appreciated. I know that there are some of you in the room who have this in their lives currently, or who've dealt with this to some degree at some point within your past. When you showed up to another person, appreciated or not, just because you knew it was your duty, your obligation, you showed up and you shared chesed with that person or those people. You showed your favor, your love, your kindness out of obligation and probably also because you wanted to, to some small, small degree. Looking at Ruth's life and the hard choices that she had to make right here in the beginning of her story, you see the chesed that she had toward Naomi and her legacy. Even though there are obligations in our lives, there are times when we are to show up with chesed, times in which though we may not want to share mercy, kindness, or goodness, but we do it anyway. And when we do, we are blessed in ways that we cannot even wrap our minds around until sometimes far after that obligation is met. So we all have choices. We all have obligations. And lastly, I look at Ruth's life and I see a woman holding on to hope. She had lost everything. Ruth has lost her husband, her father-in-law, and likely her family since she did not return to them. She's lost her hometown, her friends. She's let go of her gods. She must be grappling with hope in something bigger than herself. To pick up everything and move, it takes a level of hope that it would be different, that it would be okay, that it would be best in some way to take such a big leap. This hope, this is what we're here for. This is what Christ died to share with us. This hope that tomorrow might just be a little bit better, this is the hope that gets me up every single day. This is the hope that keeps me walking in this building and excited to tell you all about Jesus. I cling to the hope that Christ 
allows for us. I cling to the hope that God is designing a life for all of us that I just don't see yet. I cling to the hope that God is figuring out the details as I take one day, one step at a time. Each step of the way from Moab to Bethlehem, Ruth had to be clinging onto that hope in a way that only a woman who has experienced a tremendous amount of loss can do clinging to the hope in the Yahweh that she had only heard of from Naomi, clinging to the hope of survival and for thriving someday in the future, clinging to the hope that life would go on and possibly get a little better. Possibly not. But it's that hope that she had to be clinging to. We all have days that aren't better, of course, but we've got to cling to that hope that Ruth shows us. So Advent starts next week. I also have hope for that. I have hope that this season will not thrash us all to our core, but instead I have hope that we find rest, we find renewal, that we find a closeness with family and with friends and with God that is extra special at this time of year. I have hope that we can share this with each other and find ourselves closer in the end. Please join me in prayer. God, you are so good. Help us to follow this example of Ruth, to connect with the character of Ruth in a way that we haven't before. Help us to cling to you during this season, to cling to each other, and to offer chesed, to offer loving kindness to those we meet this holiday season and beyond. Help us cling to hope, Lord, even when it feels hopeless. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.